I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This program is brought to you by IG. Trade over 12,000 shares and ETFs, including major tech giants with extended hours on an award-winning platform. IG, where traders are made. Well, a very warm welcome to you. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of an hour. And today, it is February the 29th, of course. It's a leap year, and another leap year doesn't happen until 2028. So just to switch things up a bit around here, as we like to do, to keep it fresh, we thought we'd ask our expert guests today for a list of stocks that they would be happy to hold until 2028. So there's the premise for the program. That was the challenge I set for my two amazing expert guests joining me today. Jessica Amir from Mumu is joining us remotely. Welcome to you. Hello. And we've also got Mark Gardner from MPC Markets here in studio with me as well. Um, Look, Jess and Mark. Mark, I used to just feel so sorry for kids that were born in the leap year. But now, (laughs) the older I get, I think it might be nice to say (laughs) significantly Yeah, it definitely pays pays back uh, later in life (laughs) rather than earlier in life. Totally. but yeah, it's um, and it, but yeah, apparently not not great for XL either. Apparently, it doesn't cope with the 29th, <laughs> yeah, um, right. as we found out a little bit this morning. Well, I don't cope with Excel very well myself either, <laughs> so we'll give it some slack. Um, Jess, thanks so much for joining us today. I know it's a busy one and a hot one in the city. Um, but what do you think of this challenge? Because this is the thing: as investors, uh, we can get caught up in the day to day. But sometimes it's worthwhile to just sit back and think, okay, what is my strategy? And sometimes that strategy is buy and hold, correct? Oops. We need to step back and reflect on our strategies. And I think for me, um, when I've tracked my trades, which I recommend that um, everyone does at home if you aren't already, um, you literally um, literally name your trades every time you enter a position, track it, and then close out of it. And then reflect back on that every quarter, half year, year, three years. And then you might be like me if you are. Uh, you might see that um, playing the long game, the whole game, um, benefits you most. Um, and that's because you're backing companies with strong fundamentals and that are poised for the growth. So it really goes to what you're saying um, Nadine. All right. Well, that uh, will get us going. Let me just run our viewers through the first five stocks on the list. And I won't tell you who nominated these stocks. We'll find out through the course of the program. But Audinate, 
NextDC, Liontown Resources, BetaShares Uranium ETF, interesting one, and the iShares Bitcoin Trust. So basically that BlackRock ETF Bitcoin that was released and a good week to talk about that, isn't it? Um, but we, we still are going to go through our regular format and the stock of the day is zero. And I think this fits quite nicely with the theme. So it is out with a strategy day to day. And as part of that, it's reconfirmed its outlook for fiscal 2024 on targeting an operating expense to operating revenue ratio of around 75%. Uh, we did see revenue in its first half come in at around 1.6 billion for the period. Um, it's also entering a, yeah, a bit of a relationship that will allow its customers in the US to make bill payments but it has also unveiled, if that's the correct word, um, an AI sort of bot, an AI function um, for the Zero platform, which, you know, is very, very, very of the times and likely will still be around more significantly in 2028, the next leap year. So I'm going to go to Mark Gardner from MPC Markets mm. on Zero first today. Any thoughts on how the company is being run right now? Uh, I think the company's been run significantly better with the new CEO. Um, one of the very few female CEOs in ASX 200 listed companies. Um, I've always been really critical. I think the, the strategy they had prior to her taking over was just growth at all costs, which, and, and going into the US, their shareholders have been super critical of, um, of that because it's pay, it's been very little payoff. and. If anyone has friends in the US, um, I've, got, I've got a couple of friends who've been who've lived in the US and then come back to Australia. They're, because you've got state level tax and then federal tax, it's just not anywhere near as simple as um, you know ex what Zero did was expand to Britain, which is a very similar tax system, very few jurisdictions. But um, they you know, but the US there is there's a new jurisdiction in every single state. There's 50 plus states. Um, and essentially, they're even looking at their payroll. Um, they're you know they're going to have to do a custom payroll um, app for every single state um, in the US. Mm -hmm. So I think they just really underestimated how difficult it was going to be and how complex the tax system is over there. Um, I, th I think they're heading in the right direction. Um, you can't just pull the plug on that on that investment. Um, and, I, and I think management now has got a handle on it. They've, they've, they've basically become a lot more fiscally responsible, um, and they will they will eventually get there. But it won't. But not at not at risk of of the underlying of the company basically. Whereas I think the strategy a couple of years ago um, was just you know. They were going so well. They weren't even. They weren't looking out for any potential, you know, potholes um, down down the line. So, um, this one, I mean, in in line with the theme, um, I'd be happy to hold this one till the 29th of February, 2028, mm -hmm. um, uh, and and possibly. I bet from an immediate point of view, um, I I probably wouldn't necessarily buy today. Um, but if you if you had to hold for four years, I think I think it wouldn't make a hell of a lot of difference whether you got in at ninety or a hundred dollars or one twenty five where it is now. Yeah. Um, I think this this it's a great company um, who I think under under new management um, is is executing um, you know like a business, not like you know a, a revenue fueled sort of behemoth. Well, they uh, needed to sit up and take note of what the market was telling yeah. them, right? So, Jess, um, over to you on zero. So to Mark's point, it is trading at $126.80 
first of all, do you think it's a company to buy and hold till 2028? But would you necessarily be keen to buy it today, or do you wait for a time when the market is just in the dumps? Yeah, I always like to buy things when um, when they're in the trash can. Um, fearful, uh, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Um, so. If we think about um, the last couple of times that we've spoken on zero on this program, the call, I've actually um, unfortunately said it was a hold. Um, and I say that with no reluctance because looking back at its chart, it's continued to uh, to move in bounds high to the upside. And I think that goes to that expansion overseas. Um, and the new CEO is executing on everything that they said they would. And um, today, I guess, even though they are seeing a little bit of um, slower growth in the US than when they launched uh, in the UK um, with over 1 million customers now in the UK. So things are a little bit slower, but um, they're still, I guess, making their clients in the US a little bit more stickier um, with allowing their clients to pay their bills via uh, the platform. So Expect more good things to come. I do like the company's rule of 40 um, performance, um, and that is um, really compelling. If you are holding it um, for the next um, for the next leap year as well, um, and basically uh, this is basically suggesting that we could see future cash flows jump over 40 percent, um, and that's because management have affirmed that that rule is going to be delivered. So. They're expecting urgent earning margins to grow at a clip of forty percent um, every year. So that's pretty. That's pretty exciting. Okay. So is that a buy today because it's a quality company for the long term? Uh, I'd be looking. Um, I'd be looking for a pullback. Maybe see how okay. we go over the next couple of days, and then uh, look to buy for the long term. Got it. Thank you, Jess. All right. Let's get to this list that we've got. And we'll find out from the person who nominated this company why, and they can state their case and then write a reply from my other guests. So let's get going. Audinate, AD8 is the ticker code. Mark, I believe this is one of your picks. Yes, and um, frustratingly, uh, have missed, we've missed the last little move after um, the, the bump up on earnings. Um, this is one, because it's got such a great moat, essentially, and I think when you're looking for a four-year um, you know, say, say for instance, you're not allowed to get out for four years. Say that was the rule. You want something that is just got that massive competitive advantage. It, um, I think over the last 12 months, another 30 of Ordinate's competitors have just given up and just adopted their technology. Um, they and they, and realistically, at these, at these prices, they've turned net profitable in the last um, couple of earnings. Um, I yeah, we. It was one of those ones back in uh, in June 22 where the market was looking horrible, um, was basically top of our list um, to, to be buying back. We did very well out of it, but you know we, we tend to be active managers um, and you know on the on the odd occasion we do have these situations where we go ooh, um, and we don't we don't have any on. But look, we we are looking for probably a bit of broader weakness in the um, in mid year anyway. So this will be definitely top of our list, but. Look, in terms of um, 
you know, they're, they're a nine percent market share at the moment. The total addressable markets around US two two billion at this at this point in time, and and obviously growing as well. So, this stock potentially is you know over the next four years is a hundred dollar stock in my opinion. Um, and they've executed very well over COVID. They had a lot of setbacks, but what they what they did was diversify their um, diversify their product range, and they've gone into video and things as well. They're also doing hardware. They're um, you know they're it's it's an elite product that realistically no one like I said the competitors are just giving mm. up they can't compete so I, I look on a four year basis I'd buy it today um, obviously you know I'm I'm very frustrated we don't have it at the moment at MPC <laughs> um, looking for a pullback but look if if the broader market remains and we don't get a pullback at all yeah I'd be happy to buy these prices but on a yeah till the next leap year yeah I would buy today I don't I don't have any concerns over yeah it. right Jess do you agree. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those that don't know the business, um, they are a leader in the AV field and they're selling chips um, at a quicker rate than they ever have been before. Their forward orders are looking really promising as well and they've just announced a new OEM product um, in the visual um, video space. That basically means we don't need those big, huge um, outdoor broadcast trucks. So they're basically not only future-proofing the business, but expanding out the products and services that they can sell. Uh, believe it or not, I actually um, chatted with this CEO back um, shortly after listing in 2017, <laughs> and I was in a when you were a baby, role. yeah, <laughs> yeah, in a <laughs> no, no, in another capacity, and um, and since then, um, Nadine um, and Mark, you probably saw <laughs> that the shares have ro- risen. Um, almost 1,400%. Mm. So do I think there's more room? Uh, Will earnings drive share price growth? So the answer would be yes. Um, do I think this is a this is a buy for the next um, four years? Yes. I mean, I uh, there's only so much money that you've got going around and most stocks that we're speaking about today, we're, uh, I'm pretty bullish on. So you just have to pick the thematic that you believe in and that really resonates with you. If you believe in um, you know, audiovisual equipment being essentially essential, um, and the these guys are selling chips and cards and modules and uh, services. Yeah. Uh, so their growth potential is huge, and you could argue that I guess they're at a tipping point as well in terms of moving into that full outdoor broadcast area um, without the need for trucks, and they're mm-hmm. cutting costs as well. So there's lots of momentum there. Um, and I think that's probably going to continue. All right. I'm going to list that as a double buy from you guys um, for the sake of this program. And I think that Jess's chat about strategy and knowing yourself is probably a really good time for me to just remind you all listening and watching that this is information only. This is not financial advice. This is not tailored to your own particular circumstances and to Jess's point. Yet maybe both my guests will like every single one on this list. Maybe they'll provide some alternative options. However, it doesn't mean that uh, you necessarily go out and hit the buy button because you've got to look at things holistically. And that's when I'll get off my soapbox on that one, but just so you're all aware and my guests feel comfortable. All right, let's get on to the next one that's on the list. Mark, I actually think that you picked this one as well, or was this a Jess piss? Next DC NXT. No, that was me. That was uh, you, yeah, Mark. Yeah, I, I, um, data centers. Yeah, look, it's you know, it's the bricks and mortars boring of the of, of AI, particularly. I mean, they're a leader in cloud um, in Australia. Uh, they obviously reported pretty well yesterday. 
Um, it's very hard to price these things. It's sort of like a transurban where all of their expenditures up front and then they, they, they basically make a lot of their profits on the back end. Um, the list of partners they have in their data centers is just as long as your arm. Um, they, and obviously we, we're going to see more, the AI um, uh, trend is going to see a lot more uh, needed to be hosted on in, hosted in data centers. Uh, Next DC are the best of the best there. They're, they're targeting 100% renewable um, energy as well, which I think is super important. Um, for uh, for these sorts of businesses, um, I mean, despite having a twenty one million dollar loss yesterday, it um, it's more about them in you know filling their capacity and um, so going towards renewables. Power is obviously a massive thing when it comes to um, these data centres and heading towards one hundred percent renewable. You know, apart from being you know very kind in terms of PR, um, is also a super smart business move as well. Because the likes of these um, Nvidia chips, and we've got Nvidia later on in the show, um, the you know they basically the power usage of all the chips Nvidia will make this year is equivalent to all the power usage for like two major cities yeah, in wow. the US. So um, you know they they are going that's going to that's obviously going to stretch their margin um, really badly if they don't manage it well. So. Um, and but and they've got a, they do have a moat they're they're quite a way ahead um, in terms of premium um, locations so they're almost a little bit like a read as well um, and you know I just think they they'll remain the incumbent over the next over the next four years so this would be more of a from a like a right now point of view it'd be I think it'd be more of a buy dip scenario they that's the first earnings report for a while where they've actually beaten expectations yeah. um, so they don't traditionally report particularly well. Um, but you know, same as uh, zero, they dropped AI into the report, and up ten well, percent we go. So. Yeah, isn't that uh, flavor? Yeah, yeah, so um, I think uh, Berkshire Hathaway is about the only company that hasn't put AI in their um, earnings report um, lately. So, yeah, so I, I think these guys will just be very steady as she goes, leveraging off the okay. back of um, the AI thematic. So that's one for the next four years to the next leap year. Now, uh, Mark mentioned that Next DC Jess has those REIT qualities. I've actually heard that used as a criticism before, you know, that it is just really a property play. So forget the whole AI thematic, the megatrend thematic, it's Aussie property. Yeah, so they are definitely developing, of course, uh, their facilities and their data centers, but it's also about selling the capacity as well. So, I mean, if they weren't selling the capacity, they, they wouldn't be a data center business. They may as well just be a property business leasing out um, leasing out their land. So um, we have to think about what is beneath the surface and what they're actually selling inside the inside these big uh, ghastly um, buildings. That uh, I will say that Next DC is the first um, Australian business that is a data centre that's been given the Australian sustainability tick. So tick tick tick. That's good. But if you think about um, AI, and if you are interested in future hyperscale AI growth, this is probably a play for you uh, in the ASX 200. So we know that they are Australia's leading provider of data centres and they're growing overseas and that's really where they'll capture a lot of upside risk. Um, and they mentioned this hyperscale AI opportunities. Um, and so what does that actually mean? Well, they're developing data centres overseas uh, in Malaysia and expanding them out in New Zealand as well. Um, and also they're expanding um, their data centres and building new facilities in 
WA and Adelaide. And we know uh, that the mining um, sector is probably going to start to increasingly use AI. And of course, there's other other businesses and industries across Australia that are indeed using AI. But when you think about the numbers that are being thrown around by various research houses about, you know, potential cloud infrastructure and data management demand, and that's data centres, uh, the CAGR or the compound annual growth rate is around 25%. So that's how much the average business is expected to spend um, on infrastructure. So that is a tailwind, and um, by no coincidence, that CAGR is estimated to continue till 2028. Um, but the hyperscale growth, uh, I think that is at a tipping point um, internationally, and that'll probably be the big growth driver for its next leg up. So expanding capacity, um, so putting putting aside their REIT capabilities, it's the, it's the capacity that they're actually selling. Um and then, of course, that they're expanding their fit-outs and, and their scale and their presence of data centres in Australia and, and globally as well. So apart from that, um, they've also um, did announce a good set of numbers and uh, they're winning contracts at a record amount, hand over fist, and they've also guided for further contract wins um, and that's on top of their record. Mm. So. Um, if, if estimates are correct, they'll probably be profitable by 2028. Got it. So we're buying it. Yeah, Got so it. it's pretty effective. Cool. All right, let's get on to the next one. And now we're, we're totally changing sectors. And the next one that we've got on the list is Liontown Resources. Mark, your hands up. Yeah, I think I'm the first five uh, <laughs> yeah, by, by the looks. I think that's so, how the chips yeah. fell today. So um, why don't we just roll with it? Yeah, so Liontown, obviously, a lot of sort of news around this. You know, there's um, we had Albemarle try to take it over, yeah. Gina Reinhardt block it. Um, and then obviously, we all the while, um, you know, it was trading at an elevated price. Um, and and then the lithium price has just been absolutely hammered. Um, well, lithium futures prices yeah. have been absolutely hammered. Um, I, I have a lot of questions around um, the legitimacy of those um, futures prices. Um, out of China, but it's that's just mere speculation on my behalf. But, but look, I mean, we bought we bought this just a, uh, about three or four weeks ago, um, and I guess the tagline of the reason we bought it was if Gina Reinhardt bought a blocking stake at two dollars eighty, she's sure going to love them at ninety cents. Mm-hmm. So, um, and look, the, the lithium supply gap, we we saw the likes of CXO actually halt production. Um, and it was a similar situation in iron ore about probably 18 months ago where iron ore price got so low, they hold to production. Uh, some of the smaller companies hold to production. Um, and that in itself then drives a, a, a future supply gap. And then we've, obviously we've seen iron ore rally mm-hmm. quite significantly. So I think the same thing will happen with lithium as well. Um, EV, whilst EV sales are not growing at the same um, you know, meteoric uh, rate as what they were, they're still making record numbers every single year. And there, there is expected to be an, an increasingly deep supply gap for, um, for lithium um, from about 27, 28 onwards. We've had the lithium price or the, those GFX features uh, bounce. Um, I think it's the first time it's been above the 50 day moving average, mm-hmm. I think in about a year. Um, and this was a great risk reward trade. I mean, realistically, you're getting this at, um, they, they, they've got 517 million in cash uh, they've got no debt. They dry plant commissioning starts next month. Um, 
They've got wet plant commissioning late this quarter, so they're going to be in production in the next few months. It's a tier one mine, uh, mine twenty-year mine life, and you know, whilst it, you know, some of the critics will say, um, you know, lithium's not very, it's not very scarce, etc. Iron ore is actually the most um, prevalent, well, most pre- um, prevalent prolific, uh, commodity, yeah. prolific com- um, commodity in the world, and. You know, the likes of Fortescue and mm-hmm. Jenna Reinhardt, et cetera, seem to make a hell of a lot of money out of it. And they're experts at running, you know, uh, running non-scarce mining operations. So I would say, you know, this this thing probably won't exist in four years. I think someone will, will eat it up in yeah. the next probably six months or so. Um, and um, but because this is just a high quality, um, high quality project in a great jurisdiction, and um, once we start to see those supply gaps come, the lithium price will will essentially recover um, overall, and um, and these guys will start making money again, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I'd be very surprised if Lion Town is still is still LTR in 2028. I think it's a prime tar- takeover target. Yeah, but. For the purpose of this program, that is a solid buy and mm. hold from Mark Gardner. Let's go to Justin Mir, because I know that you, I know you believe in the EV revolution, Jess, but would you be using that as part of your investment thesis for a Lion Town if you even like the stock for a long-term hold? Yeah, uh, so long-term, uh, long-term if that's the name of the game, and it is, um, or the four-year cycle, so yes, um, quite bullish on Lion Town, but it's really on um, the execution of their strategy, which I think that they can do. So will it be um, a whip, a whip saw up, and a V-shaped recovery for their shares? I don't think so. So slow and steady, not a wild ride, and that's probably going to be reflective of the lithium price. Um, speaking about the lithium price, we do know that lithium prices, carbonate and hydroxide. Uh, they're both down um, well and truly into, I guess, I don't know how many bear markets you could you could explain this one, but uh, the lithium price is down almost 90%. So it's down 85% from its highs. Um, so lithium is now uh, the same price it was uh, back in 2019. Um, as for the company itself, I do like that um, LTR is tightly held, even though it's, uh, it's not making a profit, um, but production... Um, in that tightly held um, lithium province in Australia is is nearing, um, and then once they um, you know once they start getting production and offtake out to Ford, then hello um, hello profits um, they are expected to come in in 2025. So for this reason, um, it is undervalued. And uh, that's why um, it's probably prime for um, M&A, uh, but you'll probably start to see um, dip buyers creep in now, mm-hmm. uh, betting that the lithium price has hit rock bottom. Um, and speaking about lithium demand, if we can just pause on that for a sec, um, in agreement there, um, I guess the consensus is broadly that um, lithium deficits will likely return in 2029 maybe even by 2027. And that's why I say the lithium's recovery in price is probably going to be slow. Um, and that's because uh, we're seeing more hybrids, as you said, uh, being sold rather than pure plug-in EVs. And uh, a big reason for that is that China's driving, I guess, not only um, they're selling more um, NEVs, new energy vehicles, hybrids, as opposed to EVs. And we're seeing that theme uh, carry on um, uh, apart from the world leader selling more hybrids, we're seeing that theme carry on around the West, mm-hmm. uh, rest of the world. But 
all in all, um, I guess you'd be expecting a lot more EV sales. This year, they are at a slower rate, and that's probably going to continue till 2025. And of course, we've got that push in place uh, for EVs to be pushed and then um, 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 ICEs phased out after that. Got it. So there you go. Agreement on this one as well. Long-term hold for Liontown, even if um, M&A might be on the cards and you might be holding something different or, yeah, probably be paid out at a better price. LTM is actually very cheap at the moment as well. The Alcom um, Livent. The merger, yeah. Yeah, the the merger. So um, I think because it's sort of lagging the rest of of the lithium stocks by a good 15 to 20% because... They, even though they beat earnings, it obviously yeah. doesn't have a lot of track record and history being a new entity. But um, but yeah, it, uh, it it seems pretty cheap at the moment as well. And it's got a, it's obviously a um, rather large operation, but it's only been around for obviously three months now. So mm-hmm. okay, all right. So there we go. Let's crack on with it, shall we? Having so much fun here and getting really good analysis <laughs> on these stocks or ETFs because the next on the list is the BetaShares Global Uranium ETF. U R N M is the ticker code. Mark, why an ETF? Is that just hedging your bets, like rather than buying a specific stock? Um, I don't. I, I don't really want to take the single stock um, exposure. Um, We've got some great projects in Australia, um, or Paladin, Boss, um, but look, they're, you know, none of them are really in production. I think Boss is kind of, is, is shipping now. Um, Paladin's in first production in the next sort of three weeks, I believe. Uh, but realistically, there's um, there's going to be, there's a definite supply gap coming for uranium. Um, so to give you a bit of an indicator and some context, so one of the little one inch long sort of um, c- cylindrical nuggets of uranium is equal to uh, the amount of energy in a, in a metric ton of coal. That's crazy. So look, supply gaps can be filled pretty quickly in this one. Um, URNM has the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust because um, um, Prom recently because uh, they cannot get sulfuric acid, uh, which is um, essential in refining uranium. Um, their, their production numbers are down 20% um, for the next sort of year to two years. Um, this Sprott Ura- Physical Uranium Trust just holds physical uranium. So I want to be involved in something that that has the, the commodity now. Um, but this was really, this is one that we've, we've mucked around with trading, trading um, in the, uh, from a thematic point of view for quite some time now. It's sort of been more of our short-term recommendations uh, rather than a long-term hold. But we do hold this in our, our balance portfolios now because um, we had, at COP28, we had 33 countries um, that agreed to triple nuclear um, power mm-hmm. by 2050. Um, so, you know, look, renewables are great, but Germany is a great example um, for when Ukraine was invaded. It, they had a lot of renewables, but it was overcast and they had no wind mm-hmm. for a year. They, and then their natural gas got cut off. They had to re-legalise coal. Renewable, um, renewables in solar and wind are really unreliable. Um, and to have reliable baseload electricity um, that doesn't emit carbon is pretty much nuclear's your only option. So small modular reactors now, um, Rolls-Royce is rolling those out. There's a few um, There's a few companies now that have got on the small modular reactor. Things, so you don't have to go and spend billions and billions of dollars and long lead times to go, um, you know, to go and build a nuclear power plant. Um, albeit that India has commissioned 18 power, nuclear power plants in the last 12 months um, to be built. 
and um, so the demand is going to be long term mm -hmm. for, for these guys. Is it really the only way we? It, it was pretty much impossible for governments to meet the Paris Accord by 2050. Yeah. So the the and the 33 countries that agreed to it are nearly half of global GDP. So there will be just an underlying demand for uranium for quite some time. And this is just an easier way to play it than the single stocks because things can go wrong um, in in a mining yeah. operation. Uh, yeah. As we know. So Jess, are you a sting single single stock gal? Or would you look at this global uranium ETF, you know, a, a way to gain exposure to this, this decarbonization trend? Yeah, so I like the theme of uranium. And if we think about uranium companies um, as a whole or as a collective, uh, we know that the largest ones are profitable and uh, there's a very large percentage of small caps that are indeed not. Um, but interestingly, if you look at the three most traded and held uh, uranium ETFs in the world, uh, I'd say that URA is worth a mention, and that's the most uh, held globally. It is listed uh, on the US exchange, though. But the other ETF that comes to mind uh, is URNM, also listed in the US. That's uh, that's a little bit more tightly held and bought than the, um, than the one that's listed on the ASX that we're speaking about. But if you have a look at all three of the ETFs that we're touching on, their largest holdings by far um, are all are profitable companies and um, also that includes the trust that we're speaking about that holds physical uranium. So I do like the theme. I like it because um, the EIA is pushing um, for a lot more countries to be reliant on, on nuclear power because it's the cleanest green source of energy. And so there's huge push for it to be um uh, for it to be a main source of clean and green energy by 2050. So I like that. NATO is also pushing for it as well. And we do know that that has uh, supported the uranium price back to those um, back to those 16-year mm -hmm. highs that we saw recently. And that's simply because there's more demand than there is supply. And also just touching on um, the push, who is leading the push um, for using uranium as a key source of green energy? It's the US, Canada and Japan. So interestingly, uh, in the US, um, we do know that um, often on peak um, that 30% uh, of households are actually using uranium as a source of mm -hmm. energy to power on the lights. So it is happening um, and it is worth watching this ETF. Yep, Got it. The ETF. So you would, ho you would prefer the global exposure, but for Aussie investors, BetaShares, URNM is a way to play it. Agreed, Jess? Yes, Good. absolutely. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Canada has been using nuclear forever, you know, can do nuclear reactors were uh, a study unit when I was in high school. Very <laughs> proud of those. Canada, <laughs> Canada happens to have a lot of it. So. Yeah. Um, but would I want to live next to one? Maybe not. But I do. I do <laughs> think uranium is the only way to go forward. I vacationed next to one last summer. But anyways. I digress. Let's get to the last on Mark's list. So these are stocks or ETFs you can hold for the next four years to the next leap year and uh, make money while doing it. So IBIT, the Bitcoin, the much lauded, the much mm. anticipated, and now what much loved, BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, so obviously it's had a pretty good run in the last week <laughs> yeah. since we nominated these stocks. So, um, But I don't think it probably matters in the scheme of things. This sort of just comes back to... I bought and sadly sold in you know, about four years later Bitcoin after trading interest rates through the GFC and seeing 
you know, the, the fiat currency system on its knees, um, Bitcoin made a lot of sense, basically. It's, it's the next generation's gold, um, essentially. And, well, anyone who has an economics book that was written beyond 2010, um, you know, I think, you know, cryptocurrency in some way, shape or form or digital currency will just end up replacing um, gold as a store of value um, over time. Um, just for, you know, you don't have to store it. It's not easily stolen, um, particularly if they're exchange traded um, ETFs like this. Um, so, I mean, this is all basically around the fact that, you know, um, King Dollar, um, you know, if you go back a hundred years, it was it was the pound sterling, um, and then got and and essentially then it transitioned after the Second World War to mm-hmm. being you know the base currency of the world being the US dollar. Um, they have a significant debt problem um, in in numbers where it's just eye just eye watering. Um, and essentially, this is just almost a, um, a, a realistically a hedge against anything going wrong in the in the in the financial system because there really is no second place. Um, the euro is just you know I I can't in good conscience. It's a bunch of people who have been fighting with each other for four thousand years. I mean, I just don't think I'd never seen how that was going to work. Um, okay, we're going really big. Yeah, now, Mark, no, so. I know. But I, I, <laughs> well, I just so this but there Bitcoin is no, ETF. So this is how you would prefer to gain that hedge against anything a, going a, wrong in the system. It's a store of value. Trade. Rather than buying Bitcoin, go with the ETF. Go, go with the ETF. As I said, it's, it's exchange regulated, it's, so it's easily accessible yeah. now. Um, I'm assuming there'll be a, there'll, there'll be, be an ETF here yeah. pretty quickly. Um, and you've got liquidity, etc. You don't have to worry about passwords. You don't have to worry about losing them, etc. Yeah, coin jar and yeah. yeah, and it just and you, you can just buy the same as you buy stocks. So okay. it's um, it, governments can't keep printing money and not expecting the the currency to debase at some stage. So if you need store of value, like I said, you okay. traditionally would use gold. I think Bitcoin will be the way forward. He's never liked gold. Anybody who's a regular viewer would know that. Well, so. it's, it's crypto for old people. So <laughs> all right. <laughs> Not an old person, Jessica Amir. Um, yeah, are you a Bitcoin lover? Would you do buy an ETF or would you hold some in a wallet somewhere? Uh, I'd go the ETF. Yeah, it's right. easy to buy, sell and hold. So speaking about ETFs, uh, we all know that there's 10, there's 10 BTC spot ETFs that basically means that they're mirroring the price of Bitcoin. And look at all 10, guess what? Um, all 10 have produced exactly the same return uh, this year. And so that return is around a 28% jump. And so that basically reflects what the Bitcoin price has done. And then so think about the Bitcoin use case. We know that Bitcoin um, is is increasingly being used as a form of currency. So we know uh, a lot of uh, EVs, uh, Tesla, to name one, you can actually buy um, a Tesla with an EV. You can now buy a pizza, a coffee, whatever you want uh, with Bitcoin. There's even Bitcoin ATMs around the world, Wherever, uh, wherever you want to look. Uh, there is a push uh, for Bitcoin to be used. So the use case is there. Then think about the catalyst. Why would you be buying Bitcoin today via an ETF? Um, and by the way, uh, the one that we're touching on, IBIT, is backed by iShares. iShares, uh, of course, BlackRock, the biggest fund manager in the world. Why would you be buying that? Well, it's the cheapest. And that uh, might explain why they've seen $6 billion in flows into that ETF uh, versus um, the Grayscale Bitcoin ETF, Seven bill has come out of that, would you believe, this year? And that really goes to the notion of, you know, when you can trade Bitcoin, uh, given that the Bitcoin halving is ahead, and that's likely going to push the Bitcoin price up and to a new record, why on earth would you be holding um, the ETF with the most expensive fee at 1.5% uh, when you can be holding the cheapest that's backed by the most reputable 
um, name in the um, in the ETF game, BlackRock, and that's iShares, the IBIT. And then think about the other catalyst for Bitcoin. Why did I say a Bitcoin's probably going to hit new records? Well, we have to look at history. So the Bitcoin mm-hmm. halving is ahead. That's probably going to be mid to late April. And we do know that the last uh, time the Bitcoin has halved, in fact, uh, throughout history, every time Bitcoin has halved, it's popped up and hit new records over the next six to 12 months. Okay. So that's something to keep in your radar. Got it. Thank you. All right, guys, we are past the halfway mark. That's just my warning to you. Um, let's get across what we've learned so far. And zero. Look, it's a hold for both of my guests. Mark says great management now, great company, but he would prefer to pick it up on yeah, just a bad day for the market. And I think the same goes for Jess. So let's get to Audinate. Now, this is a buy and hold till the next leap year pick from Mark Gardner. He obviously is uh, really keen on this one. He reckons it could be a $100 stock and Jess agrees she would buy it as well. Um, yeah, just uh, thinking of the gains that it's had since she last spoke with its CEO. Next DC, Mark would prefer to buy on the dip, but it's the bricks and mortar way to play AI in Australia. A bit boring, but solid. And Jess would buy it as well. She says this is, you know, the Aussie way to play this hyperscale AI growth. Liontown Resources, Jess says it's undervalued. So she agrees with Mark that this is a buy and a hold for the long term, even if, you know, there's M&A in the horizon. Uranium, this ETF, Mark's very keen to not pick a specific stock when it comes to this mega trend. Um, but likes this one, Jess would prefer to get global exposure via the URA ETF. And Bitcoin, you just heard them both talk about, yeah, what is in store for Bitcoin? And that's I-B-I-T, if you're still unfamiliar with that ticker code after this week, Bitcoin very much trending right now. Very quickly run you through the fund, thanks to the investment committee. Uh, Challenger was sold, Santos was added going into February, CSL and Macquarie were reduced, and we added to AUB and Kroon Energy. It is up 27% since the 1st of March, 2022. Not bad. We will be recording a new episode of the Investment Committee shortly. We'll bring it to you on Tuesday. And stop the presses. One of my favorite times of year, the annual subscriber survey is out open till March the 12th. So all you need to do is just take a few minutes to go to osbiz.co forward slash survey 24. It does take a few minutes. I'm not going to lie, Um, but it gives us just invaluable information for what we do for you to make this a better place for you over the next year. And of course, we're going to sweeten the deal. Huge thanks to (laughs) MPC Markets for uh, a prize, you know, a managed investment portfolio worth $5,000 for the next month from Mark and his team at MPC Markets. Um, You know, there's some other prizes there as well, but I think that one is, that's the big one. So osbiz.co slash survey24. Look, we'll put it in some newsletters, um, you know, if you can't follow the link, but we would really, really appreciate it if you could do it for us. Thanks in advance. All right, the next one's on the list, NVIDIA, Uber, Block, BHP, and Wise Tech Global. So let's crack on with it. Jess, give us your investment case for a buy and hold for NVIDIA if if we need one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it's worth reflecting on the iPhone. The iPhone made Apple into the biggest company in the world. And uh, I guess I'm thinking that the H100, which we all know is behind OpenAI's chat GPT, and the next generation of uh, tech that we haven't even seen born yet, um, then the H100 probably will make NVIDIA 
uh, may be the largest company in the world, but it's probably going to be the second biggest company in the U.S. Not sure when that'll be, but it's uh, probably going to be imminent. So um, I guess there's a couple points to note about NVIDIA. The majority of their revenue, we know they're from data centers, um, basically selling chips to big Uh tech companies. So we've spoken about this one a lot on AusBiz. So um, the chips that they sell um, are basically being bought by Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, Alphabet. That accounts, all those big tech contracts, 40% of their revenue. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. So these big tech companies, they can't innovate without NVIDIA. Secondly, the CEO basically, you know, he recently said, Jensen, that that the industry is at at a tipping point. And I think what he meant by that was we know that the majority of their clients, they're in tech. But what happens when NVIDIA's chips are being sold more globally and across different industries? So they're going to go into new, um, into you know, hyperscale, so new industries. Think healthcare, agriculture. We know Deer's already a client, by the way. Yeah. And then the third thing is, I really like that Nvidia's, you know, they're they're reducing their ship out times. So they used to send out chips, um, you know, get their order and ship it out eight to twelve months or eight to eleven months. But now they're shipping out chips three to four months. They basically bring immediacy to their revenue and increasing productivity. Plus, they're going to roll out that new chip, the H200. It's already in contract with the big tech companies. It's at a much higher price um, and higher speeds. So I think this one is is uh, is a no-brainer. Um, it's probably going to be um, maybe um, one of the quickest, fastest-growing uh, companies that we've seen for a long yeah. time. Okay, so thanks, Jess. Nvidia, Mark, you've got a chart up on screen there. Yeah, that um, just gives us a little bit of a, a guide to, I suppose, what we can expect in terms of, yeah, the comparative advantage of Nvidia. Is that right? Uh, so. I, this is the only one I'm on the other side of the fence on. Ah. So this is a comparison of um, Cisco and the tech boom uh, in the blue there, um, and then NVIDIA in the red. So I've given NVIDIA um, an extra couple of years to, um, but as you can see, the, the, bottom, the bottom part of the chart is market cap. And Cisco actually is um, surprisingly, actually did better from a revenue standpoint than NVIDIA on a percentage basis. But the market cap peaked three, uh, three nearly four years before. Uh, but whilst all these projections for revenue numbers uh, for Nvidia uh, are very likely to be correct, um, so was Cisco's um, and the stock. The stock basically dropped from its peak around 2002, and it took 17 years for it to get back to that price overall. So. That's um, obviously NVIDIA on the left-hand axis um, in the orange there, and then obviously Cisco uh, in the blue and the axis on the right. So realistically, this is, um, I think NVIDIA will be the poster child for the AI bubble. Um, I think it'll be more likely to be under a trillion dollars in four years than it will be above two trillion, to be honest. Um, We've seen um, advances in software that have already put um, they're already eight times faster than OpenAI, and they run off much cheaper chips. These chips um, are really necessary now, but all of those customers that Jess talked about, um, were, they're all developing their own chips as well, and they're all developing task-specific um, chips. Mm-hmm. This is just, everyone's trying to take advantage of it now, and look, whilst the iPhone, to Jess's point, was 
obviously built Apple, it also destroyed BlackBerry. So, um, yeah. so you, I guess this is a ga- this is a gamble on whether you think this is Apple or whether you think this is BlackBerry. So, and, if you had Nvidia now, you'd be selling and crystallizing some profits because oh, this is the poster child for the AI bubble. I absolutely think this will be another Cisco. Um, and look, it, it could easily go to a thousand dollars a share. Um, I, I, I'm not going to try and even yeah. um, guess where it's going to be. But you're but saying in four years? In four years' the- time, I think the market catches up. Where where the money will be made in, in same as the internet boom will be in the software um, in the software space, which those companies probably haven't even been formed yet. All right. Um, look, Jess. Normally, I'd love to give you a right of reply, but we're going to have to just keep it a little tighter here. Um, Uber is one you'd buy and hold. It was at one time just chewing up, you know, it wasn't profitable, but the fortunes have changed. So what happens over the next few years when it comes to Uber? So um, Uber only recently just went into the S&P 500. It was founded 14 years ago and it just made its first four years of profits. So in terms of catalyst, we know um, imminently it's doing a $7 billion buyback. We know that it's um, recently uh, seen a huge uptick in active and growing users. And a part of that is because they've got a subscription service. So this might be a steady as she goes player. Um, if you do believe in, you know, I can see it, I can touch it, I can invest in it. If that's your modus operandi for investing, then go for gold. But what is ahead is uh, probably a little bit more tangible is a 30, 40% uh, revenue growth, earnings growth over the next two, three years. And that's purely on the back of our projections by the company saying that that's what they expect to see because of our gross booking growth and their customers are strong and um, they're growing thick and fast and they're quite sticky so that's why I like uh, Uber. Yeah and I also think just once something um, becomes part of the lexicon you know it's not just get a mm. ride call a cat it's it's get an Uber yeah, and that's mm. just short form for I need a lift. <laughs> I need to get a lift mm. somewhere, right? Um, Mark, what do you think, Uber? And for the sake of time, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, one thing that's on the horizon, which, I mean, we can't, it's hard to speculate about, but they're, um, they've done a lot of partnerships with Tesla, et cetera. Um, and self-driving cars would be well, a game changer for these yeah. guys as yeah. well. So, um, but I, I agree with Jess, they've, they've just, they've cemented themselves as just the incumbent and everything's going in the right direction. They're now profitable. Yep, yeah, I agree. It's a buy. It's a buy and a hold for the next leap year. Jess, um, Block. Block is an interesting one. They actually reported last week. Um, what did you see in that that really sort of firms your investment thesis for this one over the next while? So they're growing their merchants, so I like that. So when I say merchants, think about the uptake on the square terminal. So it's not just being used by restaurants, cafes, but increasingly by doctors as well. So they're seeing merchants uh, grow, and that's growing on a strong growth trajectory for the long term. Um, And Square, obviously the Jack Dorsey-led company, they see profits growing at 40% ahead. Um, I also like that they've kind of future-proofed their business as well. So they've gone into, um, I guess, the Bitcoin wallet that you kind of touched on earlier, Nadine. So I do like that if you believe that Bitcoin will will rise again. Uh, So too will their revenue um, speaking about revenue, every time, I guess, you think about your coffee, that's probably gone up coffee price or eating out. It's gone up over the past 12, 18 months. I don't think the price of a coffee is going to come down um, or eating out. So um, Square actually makes um, up to 2% of transactions on that. Uh, but by far, um, 
their biggest portion of their revenue also comes from the Cash App, and that's the third most used app in the US. So I do like that, and they're continuing to see uh, user growth in that space as well. Mm. Is this one a bit more controversial for you, Mark? Do you like Square? No, I like Square. It's look, it's a it's not the easiest business plan to read because it's not particularly clear. They're, they're almost trying to create their own ecosystem, financial, yeah, yeah, financial ecosystem. Yeah. Or, um, or in a way, I've, I've heard Jack Dorsey talk about it, you know, similar to what WeChat is in, in China where it's just everything in one app, basically. There's a little bit of competition around that. Um, look, it's going to, yeah, I, they're, the merchants actually, the, the cash that sits in their little ecosystem, they're almost like a bank in a way, really, because you can, if your cash doesn't necessarily have to go to your bank account, it can sit in the Square infrastructure and then you can pay, if, some, if your suppliers on, on Square or Block, you can pay them just direct. It doesn't go to a financial mm-hmm. institution and back again. So um, I, I always am fascinated. I mean, I know that it's been around for a while, but when you go to somebody's, I, I went to somebody's home, they had a little mm. home business and they pull out their Square machine. You know, they're, yeah, they're really it's, good. And and look, it's I, I, I agree. I think it's a buy because I'm, I'm backing the founder really, yeah. but it's if, if it wasn't Jack Dorsey, I'd be, I'm, I, it's, there's a lot of stuff going on everywhere all at once, and I. But and 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 if it pulls in, if it all pulls together really well, um, I think it's sort of that cash app and the and probably cryptocurrency, you know, utilization of cryptocurrency in day to day. I think this is a screaming buy. Um, but yeah, I yeah, but I agree, it's a buy absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm just back, you know, back the founder um, to to uh, to pull it together basically. Good, got it. All right, Jess. Now we come back to Australia. This is an interesting one. Now we come back to something that is just so fundamental to the Aussie market, but also Chinese ambitions. Or in your investment thesis, Jess, is there also, you know, Indian growth? Like, where are you looking? Because the next stock on the list is BHP. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it is about Indian growth, but also um, eventually the Chinese recovery and in particular, the Silk Road. So uh, we do know that Vale, um, um, just make, it, make a little segue here, Vale, um, second biggest iron ore producer in the world, they are increasingly uh, um, selling more to India and also Southeast Asia. And that's probably going to be a little bit of a tailwind for iron ore, but probably expecting the iron ore price uh, to continue to maybe hit new lows maybe even back to $100. So that kind of means BHP might uh, pull back a little bit further. So you might be looking for a little bit of a a potential bottom here in BHP before you want to maybe buy in for the long term in the biggest stock on the ASX. And it's also the biggest stock in Australia's biggest ETF um, as well. So it makes up 11% of the um, ASX ETF uh, by Vanguard called VAS. Um, so that is a consideration as well. Um, and with quarterly rebalancing coming around, I do think that you're not going to have many opportunities to buy the biggest stock on the ASX at these levels. But expecting a little bit more weakness in iron ore and vis a vis BHP. But eventually, uh, long term, uh, we probably will see um, a recovery in, uh, in the iron ore price. It's not going to be a V shape. It's going to be slow, but the tailwind for um, BHP is also copper. Um, we know that copper um, imports into China, uh, China are growing, and also potash. They're planning to be the world's biggest producer of potash. So this is why this is a long-term play. They, uh, they're probably going to return to um, 
record dividends at some point. It might not be soon, but um, yeah, I do like BHP for the long term. There you go. It, it's so amazing to me as well, just how many of our you know, expert guests are very versatile and not, you know, wedded to one sort of particular thematic that really, you know, including yourselves, like look at these companies really critically. And when it comes to um, prospects going forward, not, you know, I only invest in tech or I only invest in, you know, um, you know, something tangible or to real assets or anything like that. So what do you think of BHP? Well, if you're tying yourself to a thematic, I mean, you've got to, you've, some sectors don't work in some economic yeah. conditions. So um, BHP increasingly is trying to smooth out that cyclicality. Um, but copper and potash are both uh, two extraordinarily um, big thematics for electrification and um, energy transition in copper and potash, obviously in food, we're overpopulated. Um, that, uh, like only BHP can, it's just a $1.6 billion project. US, they've, you know, they've pretty much completed it completely on schedule. Um, it's 9,000 square kilometers of Canadian wilderness or something that, um, but, but that is actually going to really reduce the amount that iron ore is a, is a contributor to, um, to their bottom line overall as a percentage. So, um, and then copper is increasing as well. Um, you cannot make, I mean, copper is the only thing that will conduct electricity. Zinc's second, and it's not even close to being able to do the same job. So, and a lot of the biggest copper mines in the world are basically, um, uh, are at the end of their mine life. So that will be a big thing for BHP. It's trading at around in the high teens PE. It does tend to trade in eight to, eight to 20 PE generally. Um, we'll just be, do- we'll be dollar averaging below $43 whenever it's down there. Um, well, probably just for the foreseeable future, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it, they've, they've got five-year, 10-year, 20-year plans. It, yeah, I think this is um, it's just a just staple of your portfolio, really. Portfolio staple, but you're saying you can get it cheaper. However, it's a long-term prospect. And just look for those yeah, days that you we can. haven't had it since $50. Uh, we haven't had it all year, um, and we've been... We've been basically in the low 40s in the bid, which is, it's a lot closer now. The dividend's not really that compelling anymore um, after the last earnings report. So I think you'll get a chance around the $40 mark and just look, if every day there's a, there's a um, it, you, it's a huge down day, you'd probably not, you'd be high on your list to buy the dip. Yeah, so. good, got it. All right, last on the list. And I don't mind if we go over today. I, I'm hoping you guys don't have a meeting right away. We can do this at your pace, Jess. WiseTech. WiseTech Global is a stock to buy and hold happily until the next new year or leap year, I should say. Why? Yeah, uh, pretty bullish on WiseTech. Um, Richard White has done an exceptional job. Um, if you think about this business, why would you buy it? Well, it's a proxy for, I guess, uh, for the shipment of goods around the world. So if you like technology and you like to see goods, you know, arriving at your doorstep um, or, you know, buildings being built around the world and supplies have come from XYZ country, then this is a company that you can play that with. So I'd say that this company is somewhat of a monopoly in the logistics software game. So they've got over half of the 25 biggest Great companies in the world. So, you know, when you look out onto your onto the sea, wherever you are, you might see a DSV, um, a DSV ship, or, or you know, on the road, you might see a toll, a DHL, or UPS car or delivery service, um, or a Maersk uh, ship in terms of cargo. So their contracts are sticky. Eighty four percent of their revenue is reoccurring. 
they're future-proofing their business, they've uh, launched a new product that basically um, helps clients plan where their orders are going and track them and also they're helping with compliance and customs and they're expanding out their rail features as well. So their financials, I do like those as well. They've got a strong track record of delivering record growth quarter on half year, on year on year. Um, and their recent results, they, they beat estimates as well. And this is despite the company investing records into R&D that will help with the long term. And that's why I like this company as well. They just recently gained um, another new top 25 global freight company. So I like that. Um, and they've just also done another um, acquisition. And their recent results highlighted that they're going into um, into other contracts as well. So they're rolling out business across another uh, 25 uh, freight companies. So um, if you like a company with growing earnings, growing scale, um, increasing profits, and you believe in the shipment of goods around the world, uh, then this is a company that you might want to sink your teeth into. Is this um, something, are you a believer, I suppose, Mark? Uh, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, a company with a good moat. Um, obviously, you know, situations like COVID or um, geopolitical issues might be the only real risk to this, but they, they're gaining market share and probably, and just even cementing their footprint even, you know, even more so. Um, AI, AI may be something that these guys, if, if, they're, if they're ahead of the game and they start um, leveraging that into their software, I think it's just game over for their competition. Um, but there is a risk that someone comes up with something that's a touch cleverer um, via, via you know, generative AI. Um, but that's really, they're long shot risks, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely agree with Jess. Great. Well, on that note, we've really only had one point of disagreement <laughs> through this program, stocks to hold through to the next leap year, which is 2028. So let's start with NVIDIA. So this is Jess's pick. She just thinks that it's Companies can't innovate without NVIDIA. I think that's a quote that I'll you know, remember for a long time. Also, though, equally, I'll remember it is the poster child for the AI bubble. So you will have to do your own research when it comes to NVIDIA. But uh, Jess is very happy to hold that till 2028. Um, Uber both agree that, look, there's a lot of potential growth. And Jess saw it in the numbers recently. And Mark agrees it's the incumbent. So Uber is also on the list of these stocks to hold to 2028. Eight. Um, Square, it's a buy for Jess. Now, hold it. She likes what they're building. And Mark's willing to back Jack Dorsey's vision for this sort of financial ecosystem, even though it sounds like he's not fully, you know, uh, across exactly what the outcome will be. But sometimes with these geniuses, if you think Jack Dorsey is like, that's the whole mm. point, is you don't exactly know where it's going to go. Uh, BHP, Jess loves it for the long term. She says the tailwinds, you know, really big with copper and potash. Mark agrees. You can still get it cheaper. And which he would prefer to do, um, but you know it's a company that that's doing it like not a lot of others. And again, the last one, Wise Tech, just likes it. She likes it for many reasons, including its strategy, including its future proofing, its business. You know, you can see it 
its tentacles stretching all around the world and it's still acquiring as well. And Mark, it came up a couple times with him for these companies to hold for the longer term. I hope you noticed as well is moat. You know, if it's got a moat, then that helps protect it from competition. All right, guys, look, I, I love you for playing along. Um, thanks for bringing all those ideas to us. Jessica Amir from Mumu, it's always so good to have a chance to speak with you and um, yeah, hear what you have to say about these companies. Thank you. Love chatting to you. Thanks so much, Nadine. And Mark Gardner from MPC Markets. Thanks to you as nice. well. Always come, just fill with information. And thanks for that prize as well. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> just a little... Good luck, good luck to you. Yeah, good luck. All right. And that's our show for today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, send them to osbiz.co forward slash call picks. They get to our inboxes and we'll cover them as soon as we can. Just to remember uh, about that survey, please do it. Thank you. This program was brought to you by IG, Australia's number one CFD provider. Trade over 17,000 markets with extended hours on key US shares and competitive spreads, all on an award-winning platform. IG, where traders are made. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.